Hello, and welcome to the Neff Canyon Ward podcast. My name is Tyler Slade, and I'm excited to bring you all the cool people of our neighborhood and ward. The goal of this podcast is for all of us to get to know each other better, to create unity through sharing our experiences with others in the gospel. Okay, we're here with Bishop Gay and Sarah Gay. We're so excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited. And we're excited to be here. So uh, we'll, we'll dive in. We'd, maybe we'll start with, uh, with Sarah. You think that everybody knows about you in the ward, but you'll be surprised how many don't. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your story. Okay. Um, to start, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Very cold. I always tell Tom that I would never move back to Wisconsin. It's just too cold. Um, but really great down-to-earth people. Our ward was great growing up. Um, my dad got a job transfer, and we went to Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. In high school, in junior high school. or sophomore year? When I yes, right before my sophomore year, <coughs> when you were fift- I was 15, and it was great. Absolutely loved it. In Milwaukee, our ward was really small. It, it encompassed a large area, and. Um, just not in our high school, elementary school, middle school, I was the only LDS girl in my grade. Um, so it just opened up new opportunities for dating and just, it was just really fun to kind of move when we were, I was just at that age. Some people don't like moving, you know, teenage years, but right. I loved it. I loved it. I think it was great. Um, Atlanta, loved Atlanta. Really great people, but really hot and muggy. Mm-hmm. And so I tell Tom that's another place I'd never go back to. the two places she'll never go back to are Milwaukee and Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> the two places she grew up. Extremes. So I was there in a little town called Powder Springs. Um, it bordered Marietta. A lot of people know Marietta and Smyrna. Those were kind of our boarding towns. Okay. Um, and then after high school, I went to BYU and studied human development. Um, I got a Spanish minor and did a study abroad. I recommend everyone do a study abroad if they can. It's fabulous. I went to Mexico. That's where my mom's from. Um, Went on my mission to Guatemala, and I was a service missionary. Um, So wait a minute. So at BYU... Did, did you have intentions of going on a mission or did you go to, get BYU, go to BYU, um, BYU to get sold on a mission? Not necessarily. When people asked me if I was going on a mission, I'd say, well, if I'm not married, I'll go. Okay. That was kind of my answer. Right. Um, and it wasn't until my bishop actually brought me into his office and he said, hey, are you thinking about going on a mission? And this was at BYU. And I said, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And, you know, not really, just kind of sure. maybe someday out in the you know, yeah. far future. But I was 20 at the time, and he said, okay, here you go, here are your papers. And he put his, the papers, used to be physical papers back then, just handed them to me. And so I took them home and I kind of shelved them for a little while. And then as 19 approached, I kind of looked at them a little more and just prayed yeah, about it. 21 approached. 21? Yeah. 21, yes, you're yeah. right. 21 approached. Were you fluent in Spanish before? I thought I was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I had done my study, but I'd almost had my minor in Spanish at BYU. And I, so I thought I was pretty confident about my Spanish. And it. then I went down to Guatemala and I, yeah, no, it took me a while. Luckily, my first few companions were um, natives. My first companion was from Honduras. She was Honduranian. And that helped my Spanish quite a bit. First night in Guatemala. Um, and, you know, long flight. Our flight had gotten delayed. I think we got routed through somewhere else. We showed up really late. Like all of our companions had left the church building. 
anyways, we were hungry. And so I think that AP's brought us a McDonald's or something, but we were still really hungry. So we went to, my companion came and got me, took me to the little house where we were staying at. We had a little tiny room inside someone's house and brought me in. And every night when we came back from working, they would give us a little like bedtime snack before bed. And so I got in there and there was this roll of, looks like a, like a Yule roll, like a chocolate cake, like rolled one of those, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Um, so I was really excited. They cut it up and I was like, oh, chocolate cake, that sounds so good. <laughs> now you're thinking and one of those hostess swirls or no, something. No, 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 like, like a, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, not a bunk cake, but you know. Bunk yeah. <laughs> chocolate cake, I thought it was like a nice, you know, flourless chocolate cake, sort of. So they cut it up and I took my first bite. I was so excited and it was dried black beans, oh, yeah. like a paste. It was a yep. black bean paste. <sighs> when you're expecting sugar, so that's right. But then by the end of my mission, I learned to love mm. black beans and I loved eggs. Oh, okay. That's, that's their staple, tortillas, black beans, and eggs. And you figure Actually. out how many different ways you can use the same ingredients yes. to make something different. <laughs> Good protein. Yeah. Right? Good protein. We don't eat it quite as much these days, but I was so excited to make this Guatemalan dinner for my family when I got home. And they're just like, oh, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, thanks. for the beans. <laughs> so tell us how your mission, how did it change your life? I think I gained more gratitude. I learn to understand the Latin culture more. I just thought, um, you know, growing up with a Latin mom, I just thought she was that way, like just personality wise. And then I went to Guatemala. I'm like, oh, I just didn't understand the difference there. Just so amazingly warm, the Latin culture. You know, I had, I had known poverty before as far as going to Mexico, visiting, I'd seen poverty, but actually getting to know the people and loving them living in that state um, and just loving them the way that I thought Christ would love them. That was really a great experience. How did it change so me? You, you, you served, you served a service mission. Not many people even know that those exist. Yeah, welfare. you did say yeah, service. Welfare. So it was a welfare <clears throat> service. So um, welfare, I spent an extra few weeks in the MTC. Um, my, because I had had Spanish prior, but then I had to stay, and I was ready to get out there. Sure. I did not want to stay in the MTC any no. longer. Yeah. Um, was it a year and a half? Yeah. That you spent? Year and a half mission, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so same time period, but part of our mission was teaching, and I thought it would be because in the MTC we taught hygiene. I mean, we we learned hygiene practices. We learned gardening. <clears throat> you know, anything um, self-sustaining. I'm thinking in Spanish right now, so it's sorry, my a little slow. Yeah. Um, but in the mission, we learned a lesson on um, finances. And so we taught those finance classes to the members. So it was basically how to save money yep. and how to be self-sufficient that way, monetarily. Yep. It wasn't, I thought it would be more physical, you know, growing a garden with them, but they didn't need that. They needed more of the so were they all were they all service missionaries at that time in no i no. was the only service mis- welfare sister yeah. in my mission wow yeah so i at the end of my mission um because i was teaching the members for most of it uh, my second mission president was i believe he was a he was at some type of mathematician i think he was a statistician but he knew numbers and he really wanted the elders and sisters to learn what we were teaching the members huh. 
Um, and I would say probably 25% of our time was spent doing this. The rest was proselyting. So I was also a proselyting sister. Um, but so I, my last, I would say two to three months, I spent with the mission president, traveling the mission with him, giving the same seminar. Teaching, to, to, uh, teaching, teaching the missionaries. missionaries. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of unique information. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. yeah, we didn't. To my knowledge, we didn't have in, uh, in any welfare sisters. welfare sisters or welfare missionaries. Yeah. I think we they were just either. sisters at that time. <clears throat> I don't know that. Love that. Yeah. So you come home and tell us about meeting home, this guy here. Um, oh well, that was a ways <laughs> later. Yeah, a while was later. it? Twenty six. Uh -huh. We were twenty six. Okay. Yeah, I um, came back, finished up at BYU in human development. Without getting married. I had actually. This is another funny story. I'll try to be quick on this one. <laughs> because I loved welfare so much, and I learned about the welfare system, I just embraced it, and I loved it. So maybe that's one way that the mission really changed me. Because my testimony was pretty strong before my mission. But I didn't understand welfare. Um, so when I came back, I learned about DI and how Desert Industries is a branch of welfare. I mean, it's Isn't it's it a bishop storehouse is yeah. what it is. And I didn't understand that until my mission and after that everything that we donate <clears throat> is then given to the people that need it. So someone can come to the bishop and say, hey, look, I need a couch. I need a chair. I need this many outfits. I need a, some furniture. And the bishop just writes out the needs and then people go in. This, you know, and go in. And then the surplus of that is then sold and pays for. Yeah. The surplus is sold at what we know is DI. We know sure. it's DI. And, and <laughs> what's amazing at DI is that it's also rehabilitation sure. and job training for people that need it because maybe their English isn't great or they don't have the skills. Disabilities. Well, disabilities. Disabilities of some type, which, you know, so I actually wanted to get a job at DI. Yeah. This is the funny part. So I go and I interview. And they were like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We want you to be a cashier. I was applying for like a supervisory position. Sure. And they're like, oh, yeah, we want you to be a cashier. I'm like, okay, whatever you need, I'm there for you. So I was working one Saturday morning and I'm checking people out. And there's groups of BYU kids that come in all the time, you know. Let's see. That. So there's this kid kind of eyeing me, this guy kind of eyeing me, you know, flirting with me a little bit. So he comes through the line and he's buying something. So I check him out. And he goes, oh, so you volunteering today like me? And I said, nope, I'm working. <laughs> and he, that his face just dropped. <laughs> like trying to figure out what was wrong with me. <laughs> that's, uh, that's cute. That's but a great was, story. You no, know, I was my last year of college. I was just, but he was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. So I didn't go. Yeah, he didn't ask me out. But... Um, <laughs> Anyways, that was college. I graduated. I graduated and I was actually, sorry, but I was trying to get out of Utah. I'm like, sure. I've been in Provo and Provo is its own little community and yeah. I absolutely loved it, but I was ready to get out. So I applied for a job. It was a Latin American specialist in, um, let's see, Northern California, Oregon. It was in Oregon. And, but the headquarters were here in Salt Lake. So I went to interview with the president of the company and he's like, oh, you've got HR background. I want you here. I don't want you to, you're going to be my HR specialist. And I needed a job. So I said, okay. <laughs> so I moved up to Salt Lake. So I didn't go very far. And then <clears throat> from there, I just worked in HR for several years. Um, and I, at the age of 26, I was almost 27. I had decided, you know what? I had my degree, I was having a lot of fun, I dated a ton in college, and 
I had my career, it's time to get married. Like I had made that decision, like it's time to get married, right? So <clears throat> at the time I was living in a house, and this is where Tom comes in, I was living in a house just on the other side of the boulevard with some girlfriends and we're going to the singles ward here, the third ward. And I just told my roommates, hey look, this is just between us, we're gonna throw a party and it's gonna be called meet your mate party. We're not gonna tell the guys that, we're just us with an, you know, we're, I'm gonna meet my mate here, you know, and you guys, let's do this. That's awesome. So we invited every guy we knew, and we said, guys, this is gonna be an amazing party. Invite all the guys, you know, not girls. So let me finish this story. <laughs> so I, sh I show up there with a friend of mine, and there's three girls and about 45 guys. And we're looking around like, not cool. This is not a good party. Were you invited you know, or did you just come with a, a friend? No, I, I guess everyone he was heard about it. Okay. I just heard, this friend of mine that I was with had heard about it through a friend of a friend or something. So, so meet your mate was for the three of you. Yeah. Oh, okay. yes. For so, us, it wasn't for the guys. So I'm looking around like, really? Like, where are the girls? This is horrible. Anyway, then you I, saw Sarah. You thought, oh. Yeah. So I go inside and use the restroom or something. And I saw Sarah and I was like, okay. you know, yeah, maybe this is okay. So I asked her for a glass of water or something ridiculous. And, and she proceeded to tell me she was going to a ward here in the stake. So she, while she was on the other, living on the other side of the boulevard, she was going to the singles ward that, um, that, that, uh, that was for this stake. Sure. Well, what would have been the, the Mount Olympus North and Mount Olympus stakes. Who was then. the bishop then? I don't remember the bishop, but were you in that Bishop Rick by chance? Was it Paul it was the bishop? With, um, um, no, no, that was Clawson with your, was, So Dave Clawson was, was in the Bishop, in the bishop Rick. Rick at the time. Oh, yeah. I was later yeah, yeah. after the, yeah, it's I afterwards. moved to that one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, she told me that she was going to that singles ward, and I had kind of a bad taste in my mouth for singles ward, wards because I'd been to several, and I was like, I'm kind of ready for not that anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had actually been a primary teacher in the homework here, what was the fourth ward, from the time I got home from my mission until now, I was in the primary for seven years. But you'd go to the I went YSA. To the, yeah, I went to the singles ward and the homework. And both. the homework. Yeah, so all three hours of each for years. And um, anyway, at this time, I wasn't going to the singles ward anymore. And so I went over to one sacrament to, to track her down because I just met her for a few minutes at this really horrible mm -hmm. party, mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. And um, then uh, we proceeded to chat after sacrament for probably an hour. And um, this ha happened for three or four weeks, and I still didn't know her name. I, was I had told him, but he had forgotten. I had totally forgotten her name. <laughs> so I called Dave Clausen, and I said, Dave, there's a girl I help need. Help me out. Yeah, help me. And I said, I said I've, she's got a Russian roommate, and that's pretty much all I can tell you. <laughs> And so Dave did a little bit of research, called me back like an hour later, and he's like, I think I know who it is. Gave me the, the, the name and number, and I called him, left a message on the, on the voicemail, and... Wrong person. <laughs> no, it was the right person, luckily. 33% chance, and it, it, it worked, yeah. I, I, I mean, had it been the wrong person, I probably would have apologized and asked her out anyway. <laughs> did the other two find their mates as well? Not at that point. Just you? Yeah. I think I had one that actually left the party too. I was like, are you crazy? All these. Oh, yeah, so. That's yeah. funny. They eventually did story. all get married, but. So, you know, a singles ward certainly paid off for me, even though I wasn't going there. And so for those that are uh, the, the, the unmarried in our ward that are looking, I mean, some best practices. I, you didn't know listening to this podcast would help you, but listen, you've got, you can throw a party. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? And yep. the other thing that I'm learning is go to a singles ward and your home ward. And Double down, maybe <laughs> triple down. <laughs> Why not? Right? And the parties. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I never thought of that. I mean, that's, that's good advice. Yeah, I mean, I went, to, I went to six hours of church every Sunday for years. Because I did not want to leave my primary class. And my mom, I wanted, my mom was going to church alone. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it worked out great. You know? So, Tom, tell, tell everybody a little bit about, you know, your growing up. And obviously okay. you're here. But... Yeah. So I grew up in the fourth ward in this home. Okay. In this home. In oh, this I home. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. uh, my whole life, Okay. Um, people, I think everyone knows I'm a triplet. I have an identical brother, fraternal sister, and we're from a big family. There are 12 of us total. Um, it's a Brady Bunch, though. Uh, and, uh, you know, went to Eastwood, went to Churchill, went to Skyline, okay? And then right after high school, actually, it, well, in between my ninth and 10th and 10th and 11th grade years, maybe it was 8th and 9th, anyway, lived in Costa Rica on an exchange program. Oh, that's so cool. So I had an opportunity to learn Spanish really young. Love that. Which was nice. Went to, my brother and I went down there and lived with a family, and um, it, was, it was a great experience. Still very close with that family. And then uh, <clears throat> started uh, up at the U right after high school, and most people know this story. I'm sure all of you have heard this, but and I was thinking about a mission. Okay? Yeah. I just this actually, is my favorite story, by the way. I, all right. Oh. I had just started a business right after high school doing computer animation. This was like in the early days, and we did some computer animation for actually a couple of auto, some car, uh, 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 sales stores, uh, dealerships. Here, uh, dealerships, like I think it was Larry Miller and Jerry Sina okay. did some advertising for them. Aren't you self-taught yeah. on the computer? Yeah, okay. yeah. Started actually programming when I was about nine. Yeah. But um, anyway, got home late one night, uh, probably from work or something, and uh, my mom was sitting in the kitchen, and uh, I was with my brother, and she said, boys, come over here, and went over. Yeah, the kitchen was right over there, and she turned, she had two packets of paper, put them in front of us and signed, sign here, you're going on mission. And we looked down and the papers were all filled out. Yeah. Now, what was, what's really neat about this story is my mom had been inactive, very faithful, but inactive my entire life. And was until the day my brother and I left for the MTC, you know. But she filled out the papers and uh, for those that knew my mom, you, when she wanted something, she got her way. Yeah. German lady, grew up in World War II Germany. So yeah, ultimately, after trying to futilely arguing yeah. for several minutes, we signed, and the next thing we know, our papers were in, and several weeks later, we had our calls. <laughs> so you said triplets. We're missing yeah. one here. She didn't, so my sister, sister. She did not serve. Okay. Yeah, yeah she did she not wasn't, serve. She wouldn't have been age-appropriate anyways. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we were just 19. This is probably just a couple of weeks after our 19th birthday that that happened. And so... Um, I served in Paraguay. My twin brother, uh, triple brother, was in Argentina. Our missions actually bordered. Um, anyway, got and, and uh, got home and continued up at the U um, and studying computer science. Okay, and then started a software company, which is the business company I still have today. But then met Sarah when we were both 26. Okay, right? so you were busy with your company. Yeah, very busy. And it's the same company you have today? Yeah, yeah. And, and what kind of software? Web applications, so web stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so just big web data systems. So um, in any case, uh, yeah, so I was busy with that. And I mentioned primary. I had a lot of the kids that grew up in the ward, had them in my primary classes, the Johansson boys. Yep. 
I, I remember I was two weeks, no, about a month off my mission, and um, Brooke Davis was in the bishopric, if mm -hmm. you remember Brooke, and he came to my house uh, to extend the call at, into the primary, and he said, he said, uh, we've got a little bit of a problem. He said, we've got this class, this big class, and it, we haven't been able to keep a teacher in this class for more than two months, for almost the last two years. Mm. And I ended up being in there for seven years. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Big, huge class. And <clears throat> when the kids got too rowdy, I'd stick them outside the door. And on the, 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 the South Hall, those doors have kind of vents at the bottom. Yep. And I'd stick them out and I'd say, you better be listening through that vent. <laughs> because that. I'm going to quiz you on today's <laughs> lesson. The, and The other thing, I don't know if you know this, but he and his brother are black belt karate. No. But not just black belt. They competed. And they they'd usually win the tournament. And Cobra Kai, right? Cobra Kai. <laughs> well, the I, kids, I, they don't mess around. I with fought them. very actively for 15 years, competed for 15 years. No way. Yeah. So that's something I did not know. Yeah, competed right? at the national level for a long time, for years. Up until about the time Sarah and I um, got <clears throat> married. Okay. You know? But he still worked out quite a bit. Yeah, for years I still worked out. I haven't so much with, since I had the kids, but yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I in high school, I was a wrestler, and uh, I, I raced, uh, uh, ski raced for solitude. Um, but, yeah, martial arts was really kind of the mainstay for what The other thing you don't know, I don't think, is your sister is Luke Burbank's mother. Yeah. So, Did you know that? Yeah, Luke is my nephew. Yep. Did okay, you know so that? this actually is a question that I am going to start asking everybody that we interview, because... For all of us that did not grow that. up in the Cove or have not been here that long, we need to know all your relative ties in the Cove <laughs> because there is there a many. lot yeah. and it's confusing. So yeah. the relatives in the Cove for you guys <laughs> are who? Okay, okay. <clears throat> so I, in, my, in the ward, in the Neffs Canyon ward right now, it's just Luke Burbank. He is my oldest sister's youngest son. Okay. Um, and so... Uh, Luke, I actually have another niece that lives in the cove, but on the other side of the cove. Okay. Okay. But, you know, I've been here for all but 10, maybe 8 to 10 years of my life. Yeah. In this ward. Well, and Angie know? Heyman. Oh, I'm sorry. And Angie Heyman. Oh, yeah. I apologize. See? You yeah. see that Angie? I know. There's Angie Heyman, one. who, so her husband, she and her husband are serving as mission presidents in um, Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So, yeah. And he was the bishop of the Mill Creek Canyon Ward. Anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> And he was on the national championship team. Yeah, he played for BYU. Yeah, he was in the 89 Holiday Bowl, played in that game. Yeah. The Hail yeah. Mary one? Yeah, Hail yep. Mary. Yeah, yeah. SMU. So, and they're serving uh, up in Oregon right now. We've been yeah. up there for about a year and a half now. No other ties? I don't, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. My dad, of course, my dad isn't a member um, of the church, but he moved when we bought this home. Well, actually, about a year before. Okay. I think it's interesting. They're both very fluent in Spanish. Yeah. But you also... Took your family. Yeah, down, so down about six or seven years, we were, we were having a fun discussion about this with our kids earlier tonight, but we took our family. Um, I had such a phenomenal experience in Costa Rica at the age of 14. I mean, I was, my brother and I were thrust into that environment in that um, nobody in the family or the people that lived or we interacted with on a daily basis spoke any English, none. So, at the age of 14, our dad took us down there, dropped us off, and this was an informal exchange, right? Yeah. Um, but we went to school um, uh, with, and, and so, yeah, we had to learn. I mean, I, 
we didn't want to get out of bed that first day we were in Costa Rica because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say anything to anyone. Mm. You know? But Tom's really great at keeping friends. So he's still really good friends with that family. Yeah. They have a oh. son that's that's my age. In fact, just several weeks different. And I still talk to him several times a week. That's awesome. Yeah. We FaceTime all the time. So but he lives in? Yeah, he's, he lives in Costa Rica. Yeah. So we took our family down a few years yeah. ago to, for them to learn Spanish. But our mistake was we enrolled them in a dual immersion school yeah. Yeah. and they, everyone Spoken wanted English. to practice English with them. Yeah. Yeah. So they never learned Spanish. They had a little more exposure to it. I've heard that's it. actually a good place to vacation. I've heard some good things about vacation in Costa Rica. Costa Rica is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, they got some of the best beaches. I think it's planet. better to vacation than to live. I mean, we would vacation on the weekends, Yeah. but that, but we lived there. I mean, that was for, for three months. We oh, lived three there months. for yeah. three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We basically, the kids got out of school and the next day we were on a plane to Costa Rica. And this was about six or seven years ago. Hmm. And we put them into school the next week, the next Monday. We had coordinated with a school down there. And then just a couple of days before their school started, we, we came home. Yeah. And That's I was actually cool. almost compressing at the time. Yeah, and really, so, yeah. yeah. So I was um, on a weekly basis or probably several times a week just phoning, you know, having phone calls with my presidency. What a fun opportunity. Yeah. You yeah. didn't have Zoom back then. You needed Zoom. No. We right, you know, you but um, it worked. And we would conference uh, very frequently, and it was great. Uh, my presidency really uh, picked things up and kind of took the reins while, while I was gone. That's awesome. Yeah, it was neat. It was a really neat experience. So, Sarah, tell us about your, um, you mentioned that when you went on your mission, you had already had a pretty firm testimony. Where did you get your testimony? Tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey so far. You know, I, I think I'm just kind of lucky that I, early on, I never had reason to doubt, and I don't know if that's what it was. I just always believed. So being born um, with goodly parents? I was born into the church, but I, I mean, I did have faith-building experiences. Yeah. Um, one in particular, when I really knew, I think that when I really, really knew God was listening and, and aware of me. And so I can kind of understand, you know, Joseph Smith's at that age. You know, yeah. I think I was around 12, 12, 13. And I was having a hard day, maybe a hard week. I, all I remember is I was sad about something. And um, it was summer in Milwaukee, so it was nice at that time, maybe for like a month out of the year. It's actually really <laughs> nice there. And I just remember going for a walk and thinking my life is awful, you know, just worst of the worst. And I was walking down the street and there was a huge willow tree. And I don't know if you guys know those the huge willow trees that just kind of touch the ground. And, They're beautiful. Oh, gorgeous. And just a neighbor of mine and I just kind of <clears throat> walked under their willow tree and I just sat down in this beautiful, soft grass and I prayed. And I just earnestly prayed and said, Heavenly Father, do you love me? Yeah. You know, just, you need to help me. And I just had the warmest, most amazing feeling, just amazing that I knew God was aware of me. After that, I never remember being that upset again or that depressed or i don't know what was going what was happening in my life at that time but i just had that i knew i would always have that companionship and just that solidified just kind of my you know love of god um there's one more um if i might, I might yeah. add you know in the doctrine of covenants it says to someone is given to believe you know the gifts of the spirit sure and i think sarah was a is that's a gift that she was given out of yeah. faith and belief and you know i i don't know if it's familial as well like my mom has just tremendous faith it just she is yeah. a very just has tremendous faith but um 
another experience was it was I had already had my mission call. Yeah. And at BYU um, down in is it Springville? There's some hot pots. There's some hot springs <laughs> down in Springville, I believe. Um, strawberry, I think they're called strawberry. Anyways, you go on this little windy road up the mountain and um, it's, I want to say it's like 30 minute hike or something into the springs, the sulfur springs. So we went as a family home evening group at BYU. And as we're leaving there, one of the guys we were with, he was the driver. He wanted to get back to his girlfriend. And I don't know if he felt guilty because he was out with all these other girls. I don't know why, but he just, he was speeding back mm. down through. And I remember distinctly telling him <laughs> about a minute before an incident, I remember saying, okay, we're going kind of fast. Can you please slow down? I, you know, I've got my mission call and someone really doesn't want me to go. Like I knew that, like I'd already been feeling that pressure, like yep. someone doesn't want me to go on my mission. And so right then, just a few seconds later, um, there was a turn in the road and it was gravel road. And we started, he didn't, he didn't maneuver the road and he put on his brakes and, and he, we started to slide and we went down an embankment and I was in the back seat and my like window, I just remember it like gravel going across my window. Cause we were just, just sliding down the hill and it was, we were about to hit a ravine and just go into the water. Um, but a tree stopped us. We popped up into a tree and the front of the car was just smashed in and my roommate was in the front seat passenger side and i just remember seeing her arms dangling like she wasn't responsive mm. and it freaked me out and the driver he was a little moaning he was moaning he wasn't really super responsive but my other like h um home, family home meeting brother was like up above me like he was sitting above me and i was down and um, he kicked out the back window and he said, Sarah, run. I'm going to take care of these guys. You run back. And it was pretty far. I mean, we had already been driving for 10, 15 minutes. So I started running back to the base where you park and go up to the springs. And as I was running back, I just like, I thought my roommate might be dead. Like I really, she wasn't responsive. And so I stopped and I just, I felt Heavenly Father's love. And I just prayed so earnestly and I said, look, if you help my roommate, I know you're there. If you help me, I will dedicate my mission. Like I will be so strong. And then I kept running. <laughs> and then I started screaming and there was a camp right off. There was something like a couple camping and they came out and they thought it was like a kid screaming because I'm like, help, you know? Um, and they drove us back. And by the time we got back, um, they had, someone had come along to help and they had taken my roommate to the hospital, but she had woken up. And I think one of the, one of the guys we're with stayed back to wait for us. Um, but we got back, we went to the hospital and my roommate, the only thing, I don't know if she got knocked out or what, but the only thing that she had after that was just a cut on her face. She didn't have any other injuries. Um, the other, the driver, he had like a broken clavicle and that's all he had. And we thought, well, maybe the accident wasn't as bad as we thought it was, right? So the next day, a day or two later, we went to the rec site sure. to look at the car. And then we had someone walk us up to the car and say, okay, the front people in this car didn't survive, did they? And the entire top of the car was smashed down. Wow. So Whoa. that was wow a pretty amazing experience and she's That's... been a backseat driver since. <laughs> okay no i have and this is and 
Tom has a really Tom, hard time. They all are. But let me tell you, for a few years after that, any little winding road I'd go on, I'd be like, please slow down. Yeah. Please yeah, yeah. slow down. And so I was a horrible well, backseat driver. People should really listen to you. Can't blame yeah. her. No, no. Yeah. yeah. That's Tom Bishop. That's a great handle that one. <laughs> yeah. You just got a deal. It's a yeah. great story. Well, there's no doubt that, uh, yeah. I don't know if you know this either. But uh, Sarah is a famous author. Oh, no, please don't. Yeah, we didn't even get into that. Did you know that? We don't need to talk about that. Tom's very successful, but so is his wife. Yeah, and and, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that as well? Okay, just a minute, just for a second. You can brag Um, a little bit. So I started writing... Tom's mom, I think he, he told you that she grew up in World War II Germany. Well, hearing some of her stories, I said, we've got to have this written down for my children, if for no one oh, else. Is that where it started? That's where it started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I interviewed her. Um, we have several, several and her siblings. And then all of her siblings. Luckily, all of her siblings were alive still at that time. Um, and then we traveled with Anna Maria back to Germany. And she took us on a grand tour of everywhere she lived. <clears throat> and we have um, video, you know, interviews of her at each location right and then, 20 hours worth so how old was your mom, mom during world war during hitler's reign so my mom was born in 33 okay okay so she was five when the war broke mm-hmm. out and yeah. then um, in germany yeah yeah and um then immigrated here um in 53 mm. okay but um anyway some amazing stories so keep on. yeah well mm. tom usually looks at me and says hey how did that happen yeah, yeah. just because i just so many hours spent with his mom and then so many hours transcribing. Oh, I want to go down then... this rabbit hole now. <laughs> That's fascinating. She me, has but... some amazing, amazing stories. And so I took all those stories and I compiled them and wrote a historical fiction novel. It's, it's mostly historical, but I did add some just kind of characters and, characters and, you know, <laughs> uh, but based on her family and their experiences. And um, so I, I wrote that, that book that took a few years. And then after that, I just wanted to keep writing. Yeah. That was, we published that book in December of 2015. Okay. Oh, so not long ago. No. And then uh, her second book was probably 2018, and she's now working on her 29th book. Now, those are much shorter, and yeah. they're fun books. They're not, they're completely fictional. Sure. Yeah. Historical, so, or I'm sorry. One has, uh, one has a comedy. historic, my first kind of romantic comedy I wrote has a, a really small story that is is historical from World War II Germany that I kind of referenced mm-hmm. one of his mom's stories in that I didn't put in the book um, that had to do with someone else. So I put that in there. But after that, it's been all completely fictional. So these, these books can be purchased where? Amazon. Amazon. Mm-hmm. Everything's on Amazon. Right. Everything's on Amazon. Yeah. Are they under your name? Yeah. Joseph, uh, Sarah Gay. Sarah Gay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they're all they're all available there, and yeah. most of them are are are, uh, are digital, so Kindle. Okay, uh-huh. but there are eight of them that we've published in print. Mm. Yeah. So Bishop, what are you going to do? It's cool in your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any relation uh, with Warner? Not that. Warner Summerfield. Any relation? Your mother? No, no, but 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 Warner? they they yeah. have Warner. crossover experiences. Yeah, oh. and we absolutely love Werner. I mean, yeah. he's just such no, he's a something else. Something yeah. some I probably, we, we might not have to branch out and impart. That's actually a good idea. He's not yeah. gonna. He, he he might not be he able to for too much longer. Yeah, he'd love it. He'd yeah. Love oh it. yeah. Fabulous. Take some. Take some caffeine. That's Edit that the, part out. Because he will talk and talk and talk. He is the best. Yeah. 
That's fabulous. Uh, Bishop, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your spiritual journey? So um, I've wondered about this a lot uh, over the years. Um, you know, I, I think that I was also one of, uh, I was given the gift of faith. I never had a hard time believing, okay? Um, and having a testimony of the Savior, even in those times when, you know, I wasn't quite, I wanted to serve a mission, wasn't quite sure. But I am eternally grateful for my mom and her persistence and what she did. You know, um, I, I, I often hear people talking about making sure you serve your mission for the right reason. And I served my mission because my mom made me serve my mission. Mm -hmm. And I can't be more grateful for that, you know. But I had, a, I had two experiences in my mission that were very impactful for me. Um, one of them was my second day in the field. And uh, it was somebody that was yelling at us, okay, challenging us. Now, keep in mind, I spoke Spanish, so I was able to understand everything. And you're a black belt. <laughs> yeah. It was tempting to use that. Did you use it at all on your mission? A <laughs> no. couple times? No, I rarely ever had to. Okay. But, um, we'll uh, talk after. You yeah. used it in high school a little bit. Yeah, we'll talk, oh, okay. about, we'll talk after. about that. <laughs> so, um, anyway, what happened was is he was challenging us. And it was the first time in my life that my faith had been aggressively and openly challenged. So that was impactful. You I mean, I, like still, I still remember what the, uh, the, the, what the whole area was like. I mean, it was so impactful. Then several months later, I was a brand new senior companion and we had baptized a young girl, not young, she was probably in her early 20s. And mm -hmm. her family was very, a great family, but only she had been baptized. Her dad invited us over to lunch one day and I think I'd been a senior companion for a week or several days. And, and turns out he invited a pastor, okay, a Pentecostal pastor, um, over to lunch. Now, neither of us knew the other were coming. Um, but right after, so, of course, I was terrified. I, mean, I feel totally inadequate as a senior companion. And, and the, in Paraguay, the Pentecostals really liked to, to debate um, with the missionaries. In any case, after dinner, he... That's a kind word to use. Yeah, it is a kind word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after dinner, uh, the, the, the dad clapped his hands together and rubbed them, and he had this big grin on his face. And he goes, of course, speaking Spanish, he said, now we're going to debate the word of God. Okay? Mm. And <clears throat> I was so terrified that I did not know how to defend my faith. Uh, be it doctrinally or, you know, of course I could rely on the spirit, which sure. was where my testimony was really grounded. Mm -hmm. But I, everything changed right then. I promised myself that I would never feel inadequate again. And so I spent the next 18 months um, perpetually tired because I would, I, during the day, I would write notes, questions that I had ever thought of about the gospel, any question. Um, whether it was uh, 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 historical or doctrinal or whatever, and any question that was ever posed to, to me. And I, I, I spent hours every night. And so, too late, I never told my mission president uh, that I would stay up as late as, but I was up of late every night studying. And really, I'd write letters to my mom asking for book after book after the book after book. The fire was lit. The fire was lit. And, and, and it was really, it, it happened as a result of me being, feeling so terrified that I was inadequate, you know. And what I came to learn was the, the harmony and the beauty of the gospel from a doctrinal perspective and historical from those two sides of it. And I realized that we have tools 
and these are the scriptures. And we have, uh, you know, there was a, there was a quote, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but Joseph Fielding Smith said, the missionary's responsibility is to demonstrate the harmony of modern day revelation with historical scriptural evidence. And, um, and when I read that, I, I thought, wow, so that's my job, you know? And so I, I dug so deep into the, into the scriptures that, I, I mean, it wasn't long before I realized that it doesn't matter what question we have, the answer is there, yeah. you know? Yeah, maybe not the minutia of certain aspects of, of the gospel, but the answers are all there. And you know, you can use any of the tools that we have to find those answers, be it the Bible, the New, the Old Testament, the, the, the Book of Mormon. But um, I, I, after that, I just, I, I, I was able to confidently not feel inadequate anymore, you know, about my testimony, my, my education in, in, in the doctrines of the gospel. Cool. So there's two stories that I think you should tell them about. You can choose which ones you want to put, but um, the gunshot and the tribe. The... So, well, these aren't really related to that, but these are cool stories, right? Um, uh, and, and this was so really, so, so they're the... certainly faith building. In Paraguay, 80% of the population is bilingual, 85%. They speak Spanish and Guarani. Mm. Okay, it's, uh, it's the most widely spoken of all Latin American native languages. Most people don't know that, mm. okay? Um, now, you know, you hear about Quechua or other languages, yeah. but, but Guarani is the most widely spoken in all of Latin America. Um, and in Guarani, they have a story, of course, that we all have heard about, but that is um, uh, about what they call Nyande Jaramoroti, which is the great white god. Yeah, yeah, what's that? Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. yeah. But in, they, don't, they don't have that name in Guarani, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's Nyande Jara Morati, which literally yeah. is Nyande Jara is God and Morati is white. And, and anyway, I was, I was in one area for 10 months in my mission, and I thought I knew the whole area, and all of a sudden I meet a family who had experience with the gospel, and I'd never met them. I was like, well, how come I've not met you before? Well, it turns out after digging into his history, he, this, this brother, who wasn't active, an active member at the time, um, he was the one that had taken the gospel, had come into Asuncion and prayer with the capital, met the missionaries, heard these stories about the Book of Mormon, and was so intrigued because he's like, these are stories that we have in our tribe, mm. okay? And so many of them, and, and wow. I'm talking dozens of them, that the, the stories are almost identical. Uh, that, that have been passed down through verbal tradition. So uh, he took the, 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 the missionaries, was able to get approval from the mission president at the time. This would have been in the late 80s. Uh, no, early 80s. I served from 94, 96. And uh, took the missionaries up, taught these, and, and the, the, the tribal chief had, uh, you know, uh, uh, had an edict that all members of that tribe be baptized. Wow. And up until the time that I was uh, on my mission uh, ending in 96, they, that tribe maintained 100% activity in the church. I wow. They did. Yeah. Wow. But it was cool in that, I mean, this, I can't remember all of the specifics, but he told me story after story after story from the Book of Mormon. And he's like, these are stories I learned about as a child. No, I've never heard of this. Yeah. That should be published. Yeah, isn't that neat? Yeah, super cool. <laughs> we need to go tell Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and so anyway, that was a neat, that was certainly a faith building experience, yeah. you know, and that happened probably two thirds of the way. So that was way before Joseph Smith, they were passing those oh, stories I, on. Oh, goodness. Yeah. From and, the time of yeah. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these and Guarani was had just in the in the 70s been trans been had become a written a, a, a completed written language, okay? Mm -hmm. And this of course inspired completion of the Book of Mormon translation into Guarani and wow. the whole deal, right? But and they didn't speak Guarani, okay? Um, this this was a non-Guarani tribe. This is a different language altogether, but but uh, really interesting and fascinating uh, story that and he told me at least two dozen of the stories from the Book of Mormon that, that they he had mm. learned as a child, okay, mm. that were part of their verbal tradition. This needs to be published. So that was so wow. that was pretty neat. And to live right really? in the middle of that. I think historically speaking, I think that um, the, the Book of Mormon uh, prophets did not live in, in that far south. Right. I mean, we don't know specifically, but we think they were more in the, the well, southern well, Mexico to well, Guatemala well, yeah, area. Yeah. Um, but, um, but most certainly they would have had um, uh, influences by that time all yeah. through yeah. Latin America. For sure. Anyway, so that was a really neat thing to, to learn about. And to really meet cool. the, 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 the person who had taken the gospel into the, to the north, uh, to, to the Were tribe. they only passing that on by, verbally? verbally? Nothing yeah. was written? Yeah. Um, so by the time I was serving my mission, I think a lot of these stories had been written down by the tribe. But they lived in such an isolated area, we had no missionaries in that part of Paraguay. Okay. They lived in what, what's called the Gran, the Gran Chaco. It's like a desert jungle. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. Very inhospitable. Okay. Um, but uh, so anyway, the, not a lot of people went up there. But it was really neat to hear the stories. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, and another story that Sarah was talking about, I've told you, Tyler, this. I was about two weeks away from finishing my mission. Now, this happened about uh, four weeks, actually, because my brother came and served with me for three weeks in Paraguay from Argentina. But um, I, I was uh, serving in the office at the time. and You just, you just put in the paperwork to transfer him over? <laughs> well, my, my, my mission president, I talked to my mission president about it, and he's like, I'll do, I'll do it. Come and, on! Yeah, yeah. And so he called me. I didn't even president. ask. I should have asked. Yeah, he, he, he was trying to get John over for several months, but we only, he was only able to pull off three weeks. So it was cool. But anyway, about a week before he got to Paraguay, so about a month before I finished my mission, I, I was driving home pretty late at night, 10.30 or 11. And I was serving in the office at the time, and you know, this elder comes running up. He's like, Elder Gay, Elder Gay, there's a problem. Uh, I, he's like, I don't even know what's wrong, but Elder Tingen's on the phone. So I run in, and I could tell things were pretty serious. There was a little bit of tension, right? So I pick up the phone, and Elder Tingen answers. And um, this was a, he was his own leader, really good missionary, solid kid. And he's like, Elder Gay, uh, I've got a problem. I was just shot in the head. And <laughs> I'm on the phone I thinking. I was just shot. I don't think he said in the head. No, no, he, he said I was just shot. Yeah. And I said, Elder Tingen. Well, and I could tell his tone was serious. I mean, he sure, wasn't joking. Yeah. Sure. And I said, Elder Tingen, shot with what? And he goes, with a gun. And I said, Elder Tingen, where were you shot? And he said, in the head. And this is almost verbatim how this conversation went. And I said, Tingen, where's the bullet? And he goes, I think it's still in my head. Okay. Anyway, so I said, okay, Elder Tingen. He was near a hospital. His area was near a hospital, really the best hospital Paraguay had. So I said, you need to get into a cab and head out and go there, and I'll send the mission present. Anyway, what happened, it turns out, is um, he was uh, approached by a medio tomado, a half-drunk guy, okay, and um, let him into the house, small house, and uh, he's... He asked Elder Tingen and his companion, who had been in, in the country for one week. Cool. Green, yes. welcome. Welcome. 
And he, he turned to him and he, or rather, he, the guy led him into the home and they shut the door and he said, all right, now you have to tell me who you work for. A lot of people in Paraguay thought we worked for the CIA. Sure. It's probably because when it would rain, people wore rain long raincoats. And, yeah, the white shirt. As far as, in a white yeah. shirt, and as far as they were Seriously. concerned, that was CIA material. Anyway, he repeated that question, who do you work for, three times. And by, at that point, Elder Tingeman is a little nervous, like something strange is going on. And this guy turned around and lifted up a cushion from a couch. Well, and Elder Tingeman's response was, we work for God. Okay. And uh, this uh, person turned around, lifted up a couch cushion, and pulled out a revolver and said, um, this is my God. And from about three feet away, pointed the gun at his head and pulled the trigger. Yeah. And the bullet, it turns out... Um, it, it hit, hit his head and it slid in between the skull and the skin and exited. So he had a, he had a hole about an inch below the hairline and an exit, and that was the entrance, and an exit hole about four Ooh. inches up the head. Lucky, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and anyway, he, 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 uh, he stopped. He flew back when it hit him, turned to his companion <laughs> and said, let's go. And <laughs> it's getting late. <laughs> The guy was so I mean, scared and nervous. Probably don't leave with a prayer at that yeah, point. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was so scared and nervous that he didn't know what to do. Oh, yeah. And so they left and went to a payphone and called Unbelievable. Us. Yeah. So, and he was great. I mean, in the end, I think he was super excited to have a, a story to tell his grandkids. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he was fine. In fact, the, the, the doctor put a tool <laughs> through the, the two holes to show the mission president uh, what exactly had happened. Wow. Yeah. So... Wow. Neat experience, and of course, you know that doesn't. I mean, that was certainly divine intervention, and sure, not all experiences like that end the way this one did. But Elder Tingen was a great missionary, served a, a very honorable mission, hard worker. So it's easy to see that the the mission was a huge part of of, huge. of your conversion. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, I, you're one that was a believer from the get go, but the mission really pushed you into having experiences that you just can't deny. Absolutely, 100%, yeah. And, and my conversion was not just uh, about the spirit, which that was the grounding glue. But I, I came to find out that the doc, there is such pure harmony in the doctrines of the gospel. And it's good to ask these questions. Yeah. And, and you can, we can find the real yes. answer, to, you know, yeah. Great point. Another, academic, Great point. you know what I'm saying? There, there has it to be. It doesn't just have to be a spiritual, we can also, have the, you know, demonstrate the, the harmony of the gospel doctrinally. We have to be able to do that. Because if you don't ask the questions, then you're not prepared down the road when you probably should have asked the questions earlier. That's right. Joseph Fielding Smith, again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, every faithful member, member of the church should question their faith. Sure. You know? And, and what prophetic counsel, right? Because we have the truth. We have the, 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 the truth. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that, there must be harmony. There must be harmony. With, with modern-day revelation and, and that of, of ancient revelation being scripture. And there is harmony. And that's yeah. the beauty of it, is we don't have to rely on one aspect of the gospel. The Spirit is there to testify. The Holy Ghost will testify of its truth. But the beauty is that the heart of the gospel is utter and complete harmony, you know, and, and that's the, that's, that was that's my faith. That was, and I, I've mentioned this before, a couple of years after I had returned from my, my mission, my mom, I was sitting in the same table that she handed me my mission papers and said, sign here. And she turned to me um, 
remember, this is a woman who had been inactive my whole life until that day I left on my mission. And she turned to me and said, Tommy, do you think you could ever picture yourself going inactive? And I've, you, you've heard this. Tyler. I love this. And that was a very impactful thing for me. I love it. Because I, I really thought, I really internalized that. And I thought, hmm, well, it happened to my mom. As faithful as my mom is, okay, it happened to her, you know? And within several days, I had decided that no, period. That well, is not an, going to it's happen. It's an ever. ongoing process. I yeah. mean, we, um, when the ward before it was reorganized our state, um, someone got up and said, hey, look, we need more temple workers. And so we called up, I, I don't know. If we well, it was, it was Bishop happened. Bennett. He said the Salt Lake Temple is looking for temple workers. So we said, hey, we're, we're willing. So we went up to get interviewed at the temple and we happened to know that well, he was the temple president at the time. The second counselor. Second counselor was our old stake president. And he's like, okay, you guys, you're, you're going to be workers. And we're like, what? And he set his part right <laughs> there. He set his part right there. He's huh. like, okay, we're, I'm going to set yeah. you apart. But Tom, what led up to that, you want to tell him? Just, you want me to tell him? I don't know what you were referring <laughs> but, to. Okay, so he, what, we weren't like stagnant. Oh, but, I see, I see. But yeah. we weren't feeling like, he wasn't feeling yeah. like we were progressing. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I was, like we could, you know, if we are not progressing and really trying to work towards and reading our scriptures and praying and just really trying to feel like our faith is building, then we can, you know, things can infiltrate yeah. and yeah. take up that space. And so I think Tom that we were both in cruise control. We were in spiritually. Control. And, and so, that's, it's kind of, it's not the best place to be because you're just like, oh, status quo. And over time, you're like still status quo. And we know? weren't, it wasn't anything like we were questioning or, yeah. you know, anything where, our faith was faltering. We just knew that we... It was time to kick it. Yeah. Kicks our spirituality into high gear. So here is a spiritual hack. The, the bishop and his wife are giving us a spiritual hack right now in life. If, you're, if you are on cruise control, that's probably not a good place to be. Yes. But, and we can easily do something about it. Yeah. And you it's know, easy. Easily. Yeah. It's right? easily remedied. Activity. Yes. Yeah. It's, but yeah, it's that's, I think action. that's, yeah, that's a, that's a fair statement. I, you know, uh, if you think, if we think about God, how does God progress? You know, I mean, some might say that the, the idea that God progresses is blasphemous, but God progresses through, through creation. He creates. So even God progresses. He's not stagnant. You know, uh, when we are on cruise control, it's not difficult. Cruise control is a flat line. It's not difficult to sway one way or the other. So how do you know when you're on cruise control? I felt it. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I meet with people in the ward that it's, it's evident that they're on what, what, where I was, and that's mm -hmm. cruise control. And, you know, you're one step away from, you know, saying, okay, well, let's not go to church today. Or we're on vacation, so we're not going to go to church because right. we're on vacation. When you're in cruise control, those types of decisions are easy to, to make wrong, you know. And, so. and in one of your mission stories, I think this could be a good takeaway as well. Somebody lit the fire. Yeah. Guess what you're, you weren't on at that point. I was not on cruise control. No. Not at all. So, exactly. you know, how do you, how do you light the fire, yeah. right? And sometimes you need someone else to help you light that. Sometimes, you, in fact, often you do. And yeah. it's okay to have someone else help light that fire. Yeah. Know? In my case, it was a, with, when, with the experience that Sarah's talking about, about four years before I was called as bishop, uh, 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 Bishop Bennett stood up in Sacramento and said, Salt Lake Temple is looking for temple workers. And yeah. I looked over at Sarah and I was like, that's it. Yeah. That's the answer. 
for months I had felt like I was on cruise control and I was elders corn president. Well, it was different for everyone. I think if we just asked, yeah. I think we had been asking, you know, praying about what can we do and Heavenly Father's not going to not tell us, right? right? I mean, if we ask for something, yeah. he's going to help yeah. us. I love that. But in my life, it was about, about a couple of key decisions. Like, you know, my mom saying, are you going to go active? Well, I decided just a couple of days later, no, 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 no. I love and that. And never. Regardless of what happens, regardless of the imperfections that I have, you know, and yeah, it can be hard to go to church when you're surrounded by people like the three of you, you know, we're like, oh, how do I hold, how do I, and, and the, of course, Tom. Fredericks right I'll there never, at the top never of that measure up. <laughs> you know, and so we, we, we sometimes, you know, we compare ourselves in that way. But when I decided, I decided, you know what, if I have to make corrective action in my life, I am still going to church, period. It's just, that's the way my life is going to be. You know, so that was a, a very impactful for me. But then when Sarah and I started working the temple, that was that was a way to get us off of the couch, if you will, spiritually. You know, I love it. And light that fire, like you say. I love you it. Know? That was a big deal. This is this is important stuff, and I think. Good stuff. It, I mean, we could talk about this all night. Yeah, we all face that. Every one of us. Yeah. And not only that, but I feel, and as, as bishop, I, I see that, and I feel it, of course, still as the bishop, our faith goes like, faith is a kind of a little bit of a roller coaster. And that's okay. That's life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we are on that roller coaster, and that's the roller coaster God gave us. Our charge, I think, is to make sure that, that, that every day, we're just a little, line upon line, we're a little bit better than we were when we woke up. And, and, and it's just that millimeter uh, increase every day in faith. And in the end, the lows aren't that low anymore and the highs are much higher. I love and that. I think that's a progression of our faith. Well, we're, we're out of time, but I wanna, I wanna ask you both kind of our, our normal closing question. Um, because one of, the, one of the hopes is that these uh, interviews, podcasts uh, are eventually put on even family search website and and they're basically put in the cloud and they're going to be there forever yeah so a hundred years from now sarah a hundred years from now sarah <laughs> uh long after we're gone your great 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 grandkids are listening to this very interview what do you want them to know about you what do you want them to know Tom, do you want to go first? <laughs> what do you want them to know about me? <laughs> about you? Well, no. Or maybe that's, a good, maybe that's a good way to put it. You could yeah. tell, you know, yeah, you tell answer me. for each other. Well, I think that the, 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 the easy and quick answer is that Sarah was a wonderful mom above all else and a, and a, and a wonderful wife. I mean, she is a phenomenal human being, right? Um, and, and one that has changed the world, made the world better. But I also think that there, I mean, when we think about what is really important in life, okay, what is really important? Nah, it's not work, it's not Sarah's books, it's not X, Y, Z. What's, what's important? It's family. And what is at the center of family? It's faith. Keep the faith. You know, if there was one piece of advice I would always give my kids and my posterity, it would be keep Christ close to yourself, you know? And, and I mean that for me. You know, my charge is to make sure that I stay close to the Savior. Not that Sarah does, but I hope that she stays close to the Savior for her. And I think that if I focus on staying close to the Savior, then, and she does, we've got all, everything we need. Our life won't be perfect, and our relationship certainly won't be perfect, but um, it'll be a lot better than it would have been. Love that. 
And so, you know, I, I would hope that my kids will, and my grandkids and great grandkids, they will stay close to God. Yeah. You know, because that. that's really, in the end, the only thing that matters. Sarah, answer it for Tom. Um, Tom is um, very dutiful. I think that's the best word to describe Tom. Not, not handsome? <laughs> super hot. Super hot. It's a podcast. <laughs> There's no video or pictures. That's so boring. Sorry. Uh, without a goatee, he's really hot. He had a goatee when we first met, actually. Oh. And then he shaved it, and I'm like, ooh, you are really cute. <laughs> Not so much before. So, um, no, if something needs to get done, Tom does it and does it willingly. And he doesn't shirk away from anything. Um, yeah, and I feel very safe with Tom because he is a black belt. So if we're walking along, I'm like, you can take that guy. We'll be okay. I watched him perform or serve as the elders corn president, and I was so impressed. He was dutiful and got it done. Yeah, and he's fun. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, one thing for my posterity would be, you know, uh, one thing that helps relationships and marriages is being able to tease. And I tell my girls, they're like, oh, dad and Ethan keep teasing me. But I told them, you know, you will always be teased. But that is one thing that I think helps a marriage too, is yes, putting God at the center, um, but also you need to be able to laugh together. And Tom is really fun. So our kids just love being with him and having fun. And we just do, like when, it, when we are on vacation, we have so much fun. Um, Not so much fun. And I just like vacation. being with him, right? I mean, I think yeah. that was the clincher for me when we first got together. I mean, when we started dating, you know, we, we talk about that party, but then after that, it just, he never did anything that annoyed me, which I'm like, you're the first guy yeah. who's never done anything to annoy me, That's which was amazing. Sense, I'm sure. <laughs> well, marriage <laughs> is a little different than dating, but, um, but no, you really, we just have a lot of fun and I try to take his teasing and he takes my teasing. And I think that's what kind of helps me too. Love it. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Awesome. Just a fantastic hour. And uh, yeah, now everybody can enjoy this and feel the spirit and learn so much. So thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me.